to his left and he's on his way. 10, 9, 5, 3, cut down. Wonderful try. We have a mole, Jim. Digs like a demented mole there. He just bust through the defence. Just watch this. Spillane gathers beautifully. In go the Irish forwards. This is Lenahan. Bursting into the 22. Back to Bradley. Back to Kiernan. The drop of goal is over. Michael Kiernan has done it. Good evening and welcome to the Molecast. Good evening. Good evening. We're going to start off uh, asking about selection for the Irish team for uh, the game against Italy this Sunday. Possibly by the time this comes out, or certainly shortly afterwards, the Irish team will be announced. Um, So we know Henderson's ruled out with a case of COVID. But I guess the other big selection questions are how many many changes do you make? Do you play Johnny Sexton now uh, again? Uh, or do you use the Italy game as an opportunity to rotate when there is very much a Six Nations uh, title? It could still be one on points if anyone can beat France. Yeah, like it's. I don't know if I'm in the minority here. I don't particularly don't particularly mind who starts at ten, whether it's Carberry or Sexton. Um, like I think probably Sexton will. Um, I'm happy with that. I could see an I could see an argument for for Carberry starting as well. I'm like I you know sometimes you you think you don't care and then something happens and you really do care. Maybe that'll happen here, but I I, I actually don't I actually don't mind uh, who starts. I don't think it's I don't think it's a, a sort of hot blooded uh, debate as some people are trying to make it out to be. Well, uh, let me ask you this then. Is there not as much argument for starting Jack Cardi against Italy as there is for Joey Carberry if you want to get experience into uh, different players behind Johnny Sexton? As in, he's had less opportunities than Carberry. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a fair point. But well, I I think it's part of this idea that if you give players minutes, you'll transform them and. There, there's a grain. There is, I don't know. There's a certain amount of truth to that. In that, players have to have exposure in international rugby in order to know can they play international rugby. But then there's some of it that doesn't stack up. That it isn't alchemy. That if you if you give guys minutes, they'll be really really good. It, like it doesn't it doesn't work like that. Like it's not like if you put us out to play for Ireland for ten matches in a row, that we would be international standard at the end of it we'd be absolutely broken in bits but like we wouldn't be we wouldn't be that much better like you, you can get a certain amount better if you trained and got fitter you know if you looked after your diet if you all the things that you you know did to become a professional athlete obviously but it doesn't transform a sow's ear into a silk purse and I, I think that's that's kind of the the inconvenient truth about this idea that oh you need to get minutes because it's become just this accepted thing, and the thing about it is, it's kind of it's 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 very subjective. So we were chatting beforehand about you know who'd go to New Zealand, and Tom Hearn's name came up, and we were saying like Tom Hearn isn't going to go to New Zealand unless Farrell makes an absolutely left field call, which I don't think he will. 
because he hasn't got enough minutes for Munster. So how can you? How can I talk out of one side of my mouth? Going, you know, the minutes in a way don't really matter as compared to Tom Hearn hasn't got enough minutes. So obviously, somewhere they matter, and that's kind of where the alchemy thing comes in. Is that you need to be good enough? The player needs to be good enough fundamentally in order for the minutes to have the magical effect of making them an international player. Um, and like to give to draw some sort of comparison, Ireland do use project pairs. We've got Aki, Gibson Park, James Lowe, um, are all projects. So like, I mean, we're using them now, but I think there used to be, like if you go back to the Brian Ashton era, like he wouldn't pick anybody <laughs> who was playing in Ireland or anybody who really was Irish. Like, I mean, and some of those guys just weren't up to international class. And, there's there's probably been a few guys who have arrived with uh, Southern Hemisphere accents and have played for Ireland. And it's just, it's not that easy to play international rugby. And the fact that you're a Kiwi or a South African and you fly a flag of convenience, if you want to put it that way, doesn't make you inter- into an international player. So the whole minutes thing, I... Oh, it, it, it's, a sh- it's shades of grey. I think. Speaking of that tour to New Zealand, I, it was we addressed it sort of just before we were, we started recording. I was saying, why do you think Jimmy O'Brien's been been called into the Irish squad when he's not going to play for Ireland? Surely, even if, even if he's been playing very well for Leinster, there's still too many people ahead of him in the queue at both fullback and winger. And you said to me, well, what about you know maybe he's thinking of bringing him to New Zealand? So. How many people do you think are going to New Zealand, and who who do you think that we haven't seen yet in the Six Nations might be one of those people that's going to be added to that bigger picture? I think that he'll bring thirty seven players, but he might bring forty. So again, we looked it up just beforehand. How many did the All Blacks bring for their corresponding tour in November? And they bring twenty. They, well, certainly the last time around, they brought twenty four forwards and sixteen backs. So they brought forty guys. Um. And maybe if Ireland play more matches, like if they play the three test matches and the two midweek matches, he'll bring 40 just to make sure he has cover. But also, like, you, definitely more than 31. So the 33 players going to the next World Cup. You basically want to be able to run 15 against 15 in training for pretty much the entire duration to get guys um, exposure. And here you go back to the minutes thing. Like you want guys playing with each other in different combinations in training when you're away to get used to each other's body language, reads, what combos work, um, just familiarize. Also just schemes and tactics. Just just schemes and tactics and all, all of that sort of stuff. And you're asking me um, who do I think will go that we haven't seen in the Six Nations. I think Coombs will go. So I was... I was very struck by, uh, I'm constantly referencing the 42s podcast, um, how pragmatic, for want of a better word, uh, Birch and uh, Murray were in the aftermath of the French match. And Birch was just, oh, we're just not big enough. Like, you know, we we just, we're not big. We're not big enough. Um, I'm boiling it down a bit too much there. Coombs went in second row for Munster um, late on in, the, in their match against Edinburgh, wasn't it? Yeah. And he won a ball conveniently at the line out. And I was looking at it, I was going, like, Coombs is a big man. 
So, like, if you look at Irish players who are big and can play at that level, you go, like, there's not that many. Like, Kieran Treadwell's in there in, in the Irish squad as a second row, and you sort of go, he's too, he's too light. We've already got, like, light second rows. And so, anyway, this is the contention that you need to be the size of Paul Williams a in order to play, or you certainly need to have one Paul Williams in order to be an international class second row. So if you're looking around Ireland, you go, well, Coombs is big. He's not as big as Paul Williams is, but like he's, he's a big, solid lump of a man. And he's a good rugby player. So bring him. And is, is he going to get into your back row? And you go, well, I mean, like, to Ireland, is Ireland's back five really like that? Like, if you picked your best Irish back five and you had to take into consideration everything. So... Often Tyke Burns name comes up because he's not really an international class second row. Then he goes out and he plays really, really well. And you go, well, tell me he's not an international class second row. And then you go, well, he's an international class rugby player who's undersized for a second row. And again, you get into these shades of grey. So let's put Henderson and Ryan in the second row. Move Tyke Burns to number six. And then you drop Conan, Doris. Yeah. But you drop one of them. And um, you pay... Josh Vanderfleer is number seven. So then you kind of go, right, we, we're kind of going along the Eddie Jones route where you've your second rows and your number six. Like number, it's kind of, Eddie Jones got different ways of picking his team. Like in the World Cup final, he had Curry and Underhill. So he had two guys who were much closer to being a archetypal number seven playing either side of Billy Vanapola. But then since then, he's picked Courtney Laws and sometimes he's picked Mario Atoje. So he's picked somebody who's much closer to being a number four than a number seven as a six. So if you go along that route with um, Ty Byrne, you go, well, why couldn't you pick Coombs and Jack Conan on the bench or like Coombs and Peter Omani on the bench? Because like, Omani gives you the line eight option and he, and he can cover seven. Or you sort of go to push, you can move Ty Byrne over to seven and just go, like he, he's got a great jackal threat and uh, you've just got an enormous back five. So, like, you've you've got a team full of line-out options, or a, certainly a back five full of line-out options with that. But I think that's the way you have to approach the tour, that we, we, we're we not just going to magic, like, 140 kilo second row out of nowhere. Also, like, I, I listened to that, the 42 podcast as well. I thought Birch was unnecessarily pessimistic about it. And, like... Paul Ilmsa had a like one of his best games for France, I think, for forty five minutes, and then we ran around him. Like he was crucial in us scoring two tries was the fact that he's an enormous lump who'd run out of energy after fifty minutes, and like, they could bring on Fifanua, and that obviously made a difference that you have two giant men. But like, who has two second rows that size? No one else. South Africa. <laughs> they're four, but you know they're, they're they're a different shape though. I know Paul Ilmsa is like. Is, yeah, they're, they're longer. <laughs> they're longer, man. <laughs> um, I, I, I mean, I, you know, there was more contributing factors to that than, like, the fact that their second rows are bigger than our second rows, and their sub props are, you know, had more pop, pop than our sub props. I think I don't think they were the con, con, no the was determining a, factors in, in the in that match. If you ask me, you know, they were a part of it, but tight game. You know, it wasn't like one-way traffic where we were, like we lost too many collisions, but like it wasn't as though like they just blew us out of the park. 
Yeah, I thought I, I I thought that read on the game was a little bit too pessimistic. I thought it was too like possibly because he has that kind of background in recruitment and he knows all of Quilly and dealing that goes on in French clubs and uh, uh, it's like we just can't magic people out of the air that are that big and we're, we so we shouldn't be going John Klein's the way forward. He's not the way forward. I'd rather play better like rupee players who are smaller and are be- le- you know a little bit less good at locking down a scrum from the tight head lock position. That was certainly the commentary that came out of the Irish camp after the French. I was very struck by how, not immediately after, but later on in the week, Farrell gave a press conference. And he was he was pretty pointed in how he discussed the match and how Ireland approached it. And uh, like he wasn't happy. And you... you and Finney Beelham then was talking, and not just Finney Beelham, like um, Ty Byrne, and I have Ty Byrne's, uh, his, his quote, like he says, I've learned so much brand, I've learned so much in this brand of rugby that Faz is about, because you, you always feel like you're involved in everything that is going on on the field, which makes it incredibly enjoyable. Uh, I'm involved every single time. It's definitely some of the most enjoyable I've ever been involved, I've been involved in for sure. And then in terms of the match against France, he goes against the size and physicality that they brought. I don't think we were too far off it. We've looked back at the game and frustration would probably be the word coming out. We just left so many opportunities out there. I don't think they outmuscled us, as some are saying. I think it was down to poor decision-making defensively and giving them soft shoulders. So I, I, I definitely think that like that idea of poor decision-making defensively and giving them soft shoulders sounds like they've looked at it very objectively. And then Farrell talked about the trap of physicality and going, oh, like, you know, we're going to roll up our sleeves. Performance is worse because there's a reason why some why teams are physical or not. And he talks about the, um, there's a lot of fuel that has to go into being able to be physical. One of the main aspects of that is being connected, working well with one another and making sure that we're not doing things on our own. So again, like, he's gone back to that idea of connection and connectedness and being connected and however many variations I don't think like connectedness isn't even a word but I I wouldn't be surprised if it's been used in the Irish camp um and you know Farrell talked about learnings talked about looking to play to space um talked about being in sync and then talked about winning the race to the breakdown and inaccuracies um and It sounded very. It sounded like there was a real philosophy behind the way he wants the team to play, because he keeps on saying the same things. He keeps on referring to the same ideas. The players keep on referring to the same ideas about playing to space, but also like how they analyzed their defeats and like that. It, it like it wasn't okay. It was kind of because Farrell comes across as very sound and like very unwilling to to criticize players, but he didn't sound happy in the aftermath of being beaten by France. And it wasn't like, oh, they're enormous and that's okay. I, funny enough, thought something similar after that defeat. I thought when I went back and looked at the Irish game that there were there was no one you were going like, oh, they had a great game. And I, I thought the team as a whole re- reacted really well at the start of the second half, and. Uh, like took their opportunities well, and just didn't like just didn't get rattled by the fact that they were staring down. They were fifteen points down in France, and were like really, you know, staring down the barrel of the gun. And they, I, I, and as we discussed last week, I said they had they had such great heart to get back into that game because 
when kind of cold light of day rewatching it, there were so many mistakes that you just didn't expect of them. And so many, and like poor decisions throughout the team and poor execution of things like catch pass, kicking, all yeah, basic stuff. Exactly. Really basic. And then, and then like, so the idea that like, it's just the fact that French, the French like second string, like four subs, like the front row and the, their big second row they can bring on are the difference between the team. I was like, I don't think that. I think, I still think if that game had been played in the Aviva, there's a couple of like crucial decisions that we would have got that. Like and I'm the ones that I'm not complaining about, they're little, they're extremely well-timed bits of like skullduggery uh, that Willems have got away with. And I think if it's the sort of thing that if you see the, re- if you saw the replay in Aviva, the crowd would go bananas. And then the ref would be like, yeah, no, I think he took him early there in the line out. And that's a penalty to Ireland rather than a penalty or rather than a turnover to France, that kind of thing. I yeah I I would totally agree that it's I would disagree that it's with the idea that it's just the we're just not big enough for that. No, I agree. there's some some like of the underperformances, some of the unusual drops and things like from younger players, Keller, Darce, or even less experienced players like Gibson Park, who hadn't really played any international rugby in front of people or played very little, mm. and it's a big atmosphere. Six Nations is a massive atmosphere. So there's an element of that, I think, as well, came into play, which is as, as someone had off, off field shot, if it's really difficult to put a, a value on, a numerical value, it's not three points or two points, but it has an effect on how people mm. play. And, you know, they'd be better for having done it once. Absolutely. Like, even, like, Hugo Keenan, who, like, has pretty much been uh, uncriticizable since he, like, made his debut and made the 15 jersey his own in, like, a, what, 20-game streak of being picked for Ireland. And he made a couple of like boo-boos that you should be like, oh, that's very unusual for him, like kicking the ball dead and then kicking the ball away at the end. Albeit like this, like there's a chase call and like Conway is good on up and unders, but it's just like, that's not the time well, to do that. It's so, not, no, it's more that like, if somebody goes, put it up, what are you going to do? Pass it up. Like if the fella's telling you to kick it, you don't just give him the ball. He didn't ask you to pass it. He asked you to kick it. Like it's a team game. So... Who else are we bringing to New Zealand, apart from Jimmy O'Brien and Gavin Coombs in the second row? Uh, you see, uh, like New Zealand's still in the future. You know, one of the things which I feel pretty strongly is you see, especially always around the Italy game, people from all the different provinces say, oh, we need to build depth, pick the guy from my province. You know, it's not really... I don't really think... Like, I think depth is, has almost... When I say almost, no. Depth is somewhat overrated. You know, people are thinking that you have to have like three players in every position in case somebody gets injured. And especially with regards, it's always with regards to the World Cup. How are we doing the World Cup? You know, remember 2015 when Johnny Sexton and Paul O'Connell and Peter Omani and Jared Payne were injured and Tommy Bow broke his leg and Sean Brown's... If that happens again, we're fucked. Yeah. You know, if that happened to any team, they'd be fucked. You know, Dan Carter got injured and they went down the depth chart there. Fucking World Cup in 2011. Richie McCall put the team on his fucking back. And, and they're playing home. They played all the matches in East yeah, and, got, and got all the calls. But Richie McCall just basically put the team on his back and dragged them over the line. So, you know, maybe you can do that if you have the greatest ever player and captain in the history of the game on your team. Playing at home. Playing at home. In a stadium you're never losing. Never. Yeah. And so, you have, like the rest of your team is also deadly as well. You've joined yeah. Kano and all. Rest of the team is, yeah. yeah, rest of the team is, yeah, they Kano playing like, fucking superman at that side but 
you know, it's it's like, oh, we have to pick this fella for, for depth and for depth. Like, I looked at the the teams who win the World Cup. They So, 2019 South Africa, 2015 All Blacks. They played the three knockout games. The All Blacks played 25 players. So, it sounds like, oh, 25 players, you need 25 players. Like, there's 23 men in the squad. They played 14 of the same starters in all three games and seven of the same subs in all three games. Why Crockett got injured 28 minutes into the quarterfinal against France, which they fucking blew France out of the water, and they brought in Joe Moody, so they had to bring somebody else on the bench. That's why you get from 23 to 25. One change, one position changed in three games. The South Africans, it was 24. Cheslin Colby missed the semifinal, so they brought in Nkosi. Otherwise, they picked the exact same starting team and the exact same subs. So the main thing about winning the World Cup is you have loads of good players, you need about 25, and you don't get any injuries. So we need such and such. So if Sexton gets injured, we'll somehow win the World Cup. We'll fucking win the World Cup if Sexton gets injured. Yeah. We won't win the World Cup if we lose, like... Tyg Furlong. Tyg Furlong. Won't win it. Yeah. You know, there's only so many, like, you compare, like, South Africa didn't, they lost one player for one match. Like, how the World Cup works is basically you have five big games and two games, which you can put out lads from, you can put out whoever's in your squad and you're going to win them. So, basically, the teams who win it, who win the World Cup, pick more or less the same starting 15, more or less the same starting eight on the, or the subs bench for the big five games. And then the rest of the lads in their squad play the other two games. They don't, they're not always going, oh, now we'll use our depth in the fucking quarterfinal or now we'll use our depth in the semifinal. Teams change, coaches change selections when they lose. If you lose in the World Cup, you're fucked. You know, even Razzi lost against New Zealand and basically he said, I, I'm going to make some changes in my front row by swapping the starters and the subs. That was it. I didn't realise that. But like that was just like the other two, the other two lads on the bench came on for like thirty minutes anyway, thirty five minutes even. You know the split is what's what's interesting. Sorry to go on from that and to look at like World Cup teams. What's interesting though is how both coaches selected unconventional benches. Um, Hansen only brought three second rows to the World Cup: it was Whitelock, Ritalik, and Luke Romano. And then he didn't have a he didn't have a sub second on the bench. He had Victor Vito and Sam Kane. So Jerome Kaino would have been covering the second row from number six. And then obviously um, Razzi used six six two split. Six, two split. So he yeah. had Fran Stein covering Stain. six positions essentially. Now you could say that Herschel Yanchis was covering winger maybe, but was he? No, he's really just a scrum half. So that's interesting. It's like they're going. Where do we have most depth? Like, he's there going, I'm not particularly wild on any of my backs. I've got Fran Stein, and I've got, like, Mostert, R.G. Snyman, Francois Lowe. Can I get them all into, on the pitch? Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. And then he's there going, I have Luke Romano, and not even another second row in the squad. He goes, would I rather have Victor Vito and Sam Kane? Yeah. So those wrinkles are, are interesting. It's like, where am I strong? That's who to get on the bench. So not particularly concerned about injuries. Um, because if you think, like, do you remember when Redden, it was, I think, against Wales, probably seven years ago, Redden got a, he blocked down a kick with his face in the first minute. I remember. <laughs> so, like, literally, like, 51 seconds in, he was gone. 
So the sub played, sub played like 70, 79 minutes. Mm-hmm. So you're going, that can happen. And, or Ireland against Italy 2013 when Keith Earls, Luke Fitz, Luke Marsh were injured. Like having multiple injuries in a back line happens. And if you are in the position where, say, Faf de Klerk gets high tackle, fails a HIA, they're bringing on, say it happens early, and they're bringing on uh, Yanchis. And then you're going, we have one other back sub to make any difference, firstly, also to cover any injuries. Say two backs run into each other. Like Franco Monster playing fucking first center. You know, like those are risks. But Peter Steff to do it, played club rugby in the wing <laughs> for Cork Constitution. <laughs> so those those things that's those things sort of interest me. The fact that in reality, what you need is like twenty five really good players who are going to be like it's really hard to leave. You know, eight of them on the bench. You don't need like all these fucking fringe lads who are like oh. You know, we should we should pick this fringe lad against Italy. He's not going to fucking make any difference in the World Cup. The thing is, like, so Joey's got twenty something caps or thirty something caps. Twenty nine. Twenty nine. Um, like Joey or not Joey, uh, Joe Schmidt, like capped more people than any other Irish coach before. He greatly expanded like the international player base. Uh, what you're saying is he cheapened caps? No, no, no. Because partially because he he undertook I think two tours to the states and Japan during summers when mm. the Lions were on. So he really like expand and like um, because he had such a good Irish team. There are a lot of Irish players on the Lions, so there was more call ups for lads who are outside. Yeah, the, good point. The, good point. The general um, like first choice 25, 30 kind of people, and there is like there's. Balakun is a guy you mentioned last week as a guy he's played what two times for Ireland yeah. three times for Ireland USA and Argentina games I think maybe two times uh, and he's a guy you'd be like love to see him get into the Irish team and like have a go in a game like the Italy game certainly uh, but there's not that many others here like they haven't had a shot they haven't had a crack like Jimmy O'Brien and Larry and Larry are sort of behind Hugh Keenan, but it's like Hugo Keenan was a guy who hadn't had a shot, then got a shot, and you can't get the jersey off him. And like he doesn't want to give it up. He doesn't want to be like, yeah, no, it's time they rotated in someone else because I'm sick of playing for Ireland. Like, you know, it's like go and take the jersey. Like that's the it should it should really be the the, the message I think. Yeah, well, it is the message. You know, sometimes you get a, a break cause of injury. Like Mike Hansen came in, sort of surprising selection. Did really fucking well when he came in. He did great. Uh, that's a great example of like it's not minutes that Mac Hansen needs. Like he's playing well, select him, you played well. That's like I would like to see Balakum as well. Owen Tula made a really good point about the French kicking to us in the last ten minutes. It's like they basically looked at, at Keenan and Conway and they're going, These guys, we're not worried about them counterattacking. We can give them the ball back pretty happily. Whereas we'd be shitting at kicking the ball to Penno. Now, we did kick the ball to Penno, but we should have been shitting it more. Like, Penno could have shredded us. Um, so that's that's where Balakum gives you. You said it last last week. Like Balakum's frightening pace and brilliant off-field running. It's just a weapon. He's playing great rugby at the moment. Like, I'd bring him in. Like, I think that's, that's one where I look at it and I go, Conway actually got 
you know, fairly significantly outplayed by his opposite man, who, in my opinion, was man of the match. Mm. Like, it's not a complete burn on Conway, but uh, what is the man's name? Villiers? He's ferocious and uh, in every aspect. So, and Conway was quiet yeah. and gave away two penalties. Now, one harsh, but... Like, I would look at, at Balakou for this, but I wouldn't make a load of changes. Like, I don't really... I think the way Irish rugby is set up, Coombs at second round. Yeah, love it. He played... Uh, I didn't realise... Um, this actually went back and looked up. He played a little bit of second round for the Irish under-20s. Uh, and I think he, he played some for his school. Like, what, sorry, what height is... And what's his... Uh, oh, you love... Andy loves in, this. In metres and kgs, please. Yeah, <laughs> yeah 198 and, and allegedly... Allegedly 110 kilos. Now, if he's 110 kilos, that makes him one kilogram heavier than Jack O'Donoghue's listed weight. So we were talking about this the other the other night. Gone like that's a bit of a, like a French stat. Do you ever notice how like the French players are like Jalonch is like oh 103 kilos. You're going 123 kilos, mate. 103. <laughs> it's like it's like they're really yeah. Uh, I ate too many croissants. I better put myself down as 103. Um. Like, I don't think Coombs is anything like 110 kilos. Like, Josh is 106 kilos. And Coombs is huge compared to Josh. Now, let's say Coombs is closer to 120 than 110. And, yeah, I'd like to... Like, I remember a long time ago, there was, like, some loose talk at the time about, can we get Ferris in to play second row so we can get Wallace O'Brien, he's the Ferris, and O'Connell in the back five. Never happened. And you're going... So that would have been fucking great to see. Mm. It would have been great to see. At first, you know, not like seven feet tall, but legit like six, three and a half and an absolute tank. You've often said that someone who's six, three is not big enough to play international second row. Yeah, I say a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> you know, someone, no, what I say is someone who's not six, three and like an insane athlete. Like Brad Thorne kept on shrinking. Like I remember he was claimed at like 198. It's about like 195. You know, Brad Thorne is about maybe 6'5 tops. But he's just fucking the unit of units. So it's much more about strength and being like obviously broad in the beam. So like I'd, I'd, like I'd keep on thinking like how can we get Coombs into international squads? Like I look at... I look at where we are in the back row and the, the common feeling is like, we're so deep in the back row. Well, Will Connors is out for the rest of the season. Dan Levy hasn't played international rugby in three and a half years. So like at seven, we've got, you know, Josh Vanderfleer. Now, backup seven is probably a 32-year-old blindside in Peter O'Mahony. So like what we, if, you're, if I was looking at Nick Timoney, I'd be there going, well, I'd need him on the bench against Italy because I need a seven. I actually need a seven. Like, Timmy's played six, seven, eight for Ulster. Um, and then, then you go, oh, does that mean I lose Coombs being on the bench for a, a game I'd like him? I'd like, I'd like Coombs to be on the bench for that game. And you're going, well, we need a second row. Like, we have three second rows. We have a big three, and then a gap, and then Baird, and then a big gap. So you're going, well, do we have three second rows and then Baird and Coombs? You know, once once you that you like I talked earlier about Luke Romano being the third second row that Steve Hansen brought to the twenty fifteen World Cup. Twenty fifteen, I believe. And then I was thinking, so like they only brought three. 
And maybe we'll only end up bringing three to the World Cup. Maybe we'll just bring Byrne, Henderson, and, uh, and Ryan. And then everyone else is a back row. It is an interesting question about, or um, is it a question? Was it more a counterpoint about, you'd often say that people who are her, six foot three or six foot four, aren't big enough to play international second row. And you kind of come down to, well, whereabouts in the international, whereabouts are you in the World Cup cycle? Well, I, I, maybe it, it, it's part of your whole thing where it's like the quality of the player is the important thing, not the minutes they've played, but the minutes are important. And the same thing is like the size is important, but if a player is obviously an excellent player, maybe they can overcome that. But that I, I guess what, it, like, what I'd be looking at coming out of Munster, so you talk about the big three, you go, Tom O'Hearn is the prototypical second row size you want Tom O'Hearn playing as much second row for Munster as he possibly can like if you're an Irish fan who's not a Munster fan so you're, you're yeah, not if you're a Munster fan as you're well. not as concerned with the Munster team's results as a Munster fan is so like a Munster fan wants Munster to win bump whereas if you're not a Munster fan but you're an Irish fan you're like you know what I just want more international caliber guys coming from Munster or just just more international caliber yeah, guys coming yeah. from anywhere um you want Tom O'Hearn playing second row. But the fact is, he's not. And he's not going to play enough rugby to make the World Cup squad. Coombs has played a load of rugby. So you're going, Jesus, if we need ballast, and if we've got... And if Coombs... Coombs played all his match really for Munster this season as number eight. And, and last season as number eight. My point being, he hasn't played as number six. And if you look at Ireland, you go, well, Conan and Doris are the number eights. So there isn't really that much demand for him to be number eight. He was unlucky in that he was sick during November. So when he might have had an opportunity to stake a claim, he couldn't because he just wasn't available to play through illness. And he, he it's hard to know. It's a sliding doors moment. You don't know that he misses chance or not because the two guys, like Conan was full of beans, full of confidence coming back from the Lions tour where he was the test number eight and Darius is the the most complete of the back rows whose best position is number eight. So then it's like, how, how do you get Coombs into the squad somewhere? Not even, that's not even the right question. The question is, how do you get your best big men into the squad to play second row? Allowing for the fact that the weakness that we have is that we don't have a huge amount of ballast in the second. I say the weakness. One of the weaknesses that we have, or one of the perceived weaknesses that we have, is we don't have the ballast. And you're not going to have the ballast bringing off Ryan Baird or Treadwell. So if that's your big concern, where are you going to get the ballast? Who's a good enough rugby player? And Coombs is the, Coombs is the answer. Yeah, Coombs is the answer. Like I think it's a, I think it's a really good session. You came up with it, and I, th- I thought like, yeah, Coombs has played a bit of second row before. It's, you're not asking a guy to do something he hasn't done before. Yeah, and uh, just I really like it. Like like the idea. Like if you think, okay, how many scrums are there in a the game? There could be loads. Most of the time, there's not. Most of the time, it's line out and open play. But like, he's fucking strong. He's strong for his size, and he's huge. And you're, great rugby player. But like you're, you're looking at the World Cup, so you're not asking the guy to make a career move. You're just there going, this is this is live for the next 18 months. 
Yeah. And then he can go back to play number eight. And but, he might be the international number eight. Yeah, he might be international number eight before that. But like it's like yeah. I said about Kano and Victor Vito. Like, he, Steve Hansen was there going, just need my best players in the 23. Need my most effective and best players in the 23. So, like, I like that. So, ultimately, at the weekend, um, the selection at, at out half is still up, is still seems to be up for grabs. The uh, build depth in Joey's uh, minutes or <laughs> pick the best out half. <laughs> Just buzz right step, build depth, Joey minutes. <laughs> <laughs> or pick, pick Ireland's best out half for like a competitive international in a championship that we still might win. Who do you pick? I yeah. would pick... But do you want to go first? You go first. You go first. I do. I would. <laughs> I would pick Carberry. And Des pointed out to me, "Geez, like you did a tremendous uh, dissection job. stroke assassination of Carberry's uh, performance." And then you said you'd pick him at the weekend. I was like, "Oh yeah, I sort of did," not thinking that Sexton will be will be back and fit. And also capturing myself here and say, "I'm not a fan of Joey Carberry," which is actually I'm sort of a fan of Joey Carberry. I'm not a. I'm not a believer in all the the minutes but or sorry all the all the talk about him I'm not, I'm not a believer in the Matt Williams being told I have no right to question uh, which I think is like frankly such bizarre a like, such, a, such, a, such an incredible thing to commit to print from a man I think who was successfully uh, was he successful did he have a lawsuit against did he have to settle he did, against yeah. the guys he did yeah. didn't he yeah so are you going to say um <laughs> So to my mind, I'd be more like, there seems to be a story built up that it's Sexton and Carberry. And although Sexton is number one, you know, Carberry could be a rival. Because we quoted that Jerry Thorny bit. And I sort of go, no, no, no. Like there's, there's Sexton, there's an enormous gap. And then there's um, Joey next. But like it's Joey is the tallest dwarf ahead of, pick who, Carty. Uh, Ross Byrne, Harry Byrne, Crowley, Billy Burns, and Ben Healy. Ben Healy. That's, that's where the competition is. And it's, to my mind, picking Carberry is, do we want to bring this guy to New Zealand? Or do we want to see, is the next cab off the rank? Like, can somebody else do a job behind Sexton who might go to the World Cup? Or do we just kind of go, Jesus, I hope, you know, because like you can bring three out halves, so Joey's gonna go, particularly because he can play fullback. Mm-hmm. Like he's definitely gonna go, because he's a really good place kicker. and because he's a really good place kicker. So you you, you kind of go on. I I just feel that Sexton's gonna go to the World Cup unless he's injured. But even if he's like even if he's really slowing down at thirty seven, he's gonna go. Carby's gonna go to the World Cup. Because he's got 29 caps and because he's been picked in all the main squads where he's been fit. So you've got one more guy to squeeze in. And you're going, like, when's he going to get any game time? He's going to get game time in New Zealand. It's it's the only choice. So, like, giving Jack Carty three, four minutes against France was a massive no confidence. And I no, was looking okay. at it going, yeah, go ahead. sorry, sorry, what's the story? I was just there going, well, this guy, like, he's not, like... He wasn't going to get any minutes. Um... The reason he came on was, was uh, Carby got injured. Uh, he, when uh, Dan Sheehan held, made that tackle and held your man up, Carby attempted to tackle and he was flailing across and his legs got smashed against somebody else. So Carty was going to get no minutes in that game. 
So I, I don't see I don't see the point of bringing Carty to New Zealand. If you're not going to bring Carty off the bench in Paris, and you're not going to play him against the Italians, I like where, where's the upside? Yeah, it's a it's a like it's a question. You know, people. A lot of people say people people. Connacht fans are like desperate to get Cardi in the team. You can see why, because he's playing really well for Connacht. And like coming on for a minute and a half and trying to, you know, make a seven point try happen against France, like it's a tough scene. Yeah. Um, getting back to who would I pick? I'd pick Sexton because like he's the best out half, makes the team play better against Italy. So it's not a particularly tough call for me. Once it gets to 50 minutes, he'll be hauled off. So he gets 50 minutes and Carberry gets 30 minutes. And you're supposed to frazzle yourself into saying, oh, Car- or, sorry, Carberry didn't start. Ergo, this means something. It's going to, the difference is 10 minutes. Like Ireland. No, 50 versus 30. It's 10. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the number on the jersey doesn't bother me that much. It wouldn't bother me if, if Joey uh, started either. If Joey started, I wouldn't put Johnny on the bench. You know what I mean? If the point is that we can beat Italy without Johnny, then he should get the whole week off. And you should see what the next guy is. The next, next cab on the rank is. That would be my take. My take would be pick Johnny because he's the best out half and win the game. Yeah, that's sort of my take as well. I'd like, I'd like to win the Six Nations. I think the most important thing for any international coach, I keep on saying this, I say this every podcast, you should be called... The most important thing for international coaches is just to keep winning and keep momentum. It's not as good a name as the Molecast, though. So. Not even a good name. <laughs> it's probably the worst podcast name there ever was. That's, yeah, that's, that's, that's where I stand on that. Like, I, I also just, like, change for change's sake, it seems to be all anybody wants is, like, change the team every fucking week. That's not what happens. Like, there has to be, there's loads of, loads of learnings that happen in training camp. So the guys who've been there longer play better in the, in the system because they know what they're supposed to be doing. It's a huge system. Like, I don't know if people honestly believe that they're playing heads-up rugby. The heads-up rugby element is like knowing exactly what you're supposed to do in the system and know what options are available to you. It's not just like fucking freelance and throwing the ball around because that shit doesn't work. Mm. Uh, it's kind of tried to do that and then it's like, or you're all good players, just play what you see in front of you. Turn the lenser into a fucking disaster. You have to know what the man beside you, the man beside him is going to do. So there's loads of structure in what Farrell and Cat have done. Like, I'm still another, sorry, my weekly apology to my cat, which I didn't get out early enough. Like he's done such a good job of organizing the attack and making such a fluid, like one of the most attractive attacks I've seen in international rugby from any team. But it's like, it's complicated. A lot of moving parts, and one that's one of the reasons why you know we stumbled against France because we play a complicated game, and we have to, and we have to play a complicated, and it's the right game for us. But like, there's a lot of moving parts in it, and anything that's a lot of moving parts, if you get you get sand into the cogs of a watch, like it's only a grain of sand, but it can fuck it up, and like. That's what we're contending with. We have to play a very crisp, pristine version of what we're trying to do, which is a very clockwork uh, system. But it's very attractive. It's a real Patek Philippe. I, I go back to the Ty Byrne quote, which I, I garble through, and I'll 
to read out less of it, but it says, other types of game plan, you come in and out of the game, but what has been asked of us here, I'm involved every single time. It's definitely some of the most enjoyable rugby I've ever been involved, I've been involved in for sure. But that idea that, like you're, that to me sounds like you're always an option. Like you're running a line where you might get the ball or you might be a dummy, but it's not like you're running a line where you're never going to get the ball as a decoy and like we're always giving the ball to Drico. You know, so <laughs> just, just run a dummy and give the ball to Drico. You know, and, and that that's your plan. And plan. <laughs> I guess like it's 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 kind of West Coast offense. And I remember we I remember re- writing about the West Coast offense, probably because I wanted to put it into an article um a long time ago, before the twenty fifteen World Cup. And Can you give the listeners a press cease of the West Coast offense there in one sentence. Loads of short passing options in American football. Bill, yeah, so Bill Walsh. So a lateral passing game rather than a horizontal. Bill Walsh came up with it, and the quarterback might have four passing options, and they might be five, six, five, and seven yards. So you mightn't, you you weren't going to play like a, a bombish long, you mightn't get a first down even off a pass, but you typically scan left to right or right to left, looking at who's your option, and you'd. You'd, you'd choose from you a cycle menu. through options, yeah. You choose from a menu of who your best one was, but like you always had options, and you just you just kept the flight, you kept the you kept the yardstick moving. And a guy called Ronk said he's not like he's he, he doesn't play like that. He's uh, Joe Schmidt doesn't play like that. He's 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 you know he, he does what he does, but he's um, he's not a, a spread him and spin him coach and. I read it and I went, yeah, he called me there. He's not. And I, like, I, knew, I knew he was right and I kind of wanted to get into the West Coast. Whereas I would say that Farrell and Cat is, is far more nuanced and, and optioned, particularly when Sexton plays. And when he, when he doesn't play, it's, it's not. And like, we're going on the evidence of one match here. No, really. no, we're going on the evidence of Billy Burns against France last year. Billy Burns against France Ross, as well. Ross, uh, a couple of times. You know, like, I, and for 18 years, cut that bit out about Ross. For, uh, <laughs> for 18 months, uh, the, all the players are saying, oh, we're making great progress. And we're really, they're really positive at camp. We're going like, these lads are, this is uh, Jonestown stuff. <laughs> you know, like, you're not playing that well. <laughs> and you might be having a great time in camp and everything, but like, you're actually not playing well. But it reminds me of um, when we played against Australia under Joe Schmidt, Joe Schmidt's first November in charge. And like, we all look really disjointed. It's because they were learning, learning, learning. And then by the time they got to New Zealand, which was the next week, so in a week's time, they were able to throw everything at them. They were really focused. The learning process for this sort of uh, system that CAT or scheme or whatever you want to call it, that CAT and Farrell have put in, in place is obviously very complex. And they took a long time to learn it. And there's been some shift of personnel, but largely it's the same. Like Keenan is a big new input into it. Wingers have changed low. Like Andy Farrell could not wait to get James Lowe in. He had him training with Ireland when he wasn't even qualified for Ireland. Like J- James Lowe was missing Leinster games to train for Ireland when he couldn't even play for Ireland at one stage, like two seasons ago. So Lowe was a big part of it. Lowe will come back into the team, by the way. And um, this of thought. well, it leads it leads me on to the guy that you mentioned before the podcast. So. Zeebs scored his, his hat-trick against Edinburgh, scarcely touching the ball. Yeah. 
Um, and yet, showed a clean pair of heels, and I texted you guys, and I said, geez, like, it wouldn't amaze me if his Ireland career wasn't over. You should but have just said, Zeebs is not over. At the same... <laughs> At the same stage, just taking a picture of myself, making the Z sign. <laughs> yeah. At the same stage, I thought to myself, but like Ireland have loads of wingers. Like well, who, who would I rather see? Would I rather see Zebo or Balakun? I'd better go Balakun. Would I rather see Stockdale or Zebo? And I'd be like, uh, Stockdale. Low or Zebo? Low. And you read about the preference for work rate wingers and you go, Jesus, like Zebes is many things. Um... Like, he's obviously massively charismatic. He's obviously a brilliant finisher, but he is not a work-rate winger. No. And he's not fit enough to play at fullback. No. Like, Zeebo, he, he confused me. He's a fascinating character. Um, but it's confusing the shit out of me at the moment because when he was in Paris, it was, it was clear that he wanted to play for Ireland. He was quite vocal about it or whatever. If, if not on vocal, he was on Twitter about saying... That he wanted to play for, and he gave interviews. So he was brought home half between or some degree of assistance from the IRFU to Munster. So you're looking at all. Oh, that's one of the reasons Zebo's coming back is to play for Ireland. Showed up in in poor condition. Got selected for the November squad. Farrell didn't give him a minute. Didn't pick him for the Six Nations. If anything, he looks in probably as bad condition, if not if not worse. And now you've got. I think eight back three players in a squad. You got Larry, Jimmy O'Brien, Keenan, um, Low Balakum, Low Balakum, Conway, and Mac Hansen. And, and Earls had to drop out. Earls had to drop out, and Stockdale's injured. And Larmer's there. And Larmer. So you, man. so you've got eight plus two injured players, uh, plus Debo. So like, there's a lot of players ahead of him, and you're going. I I don't. He's turns thirty two. Uh, next month and he signed another two you do at Munster he's Munster's record try score but quite a distance now he's a great try scoring record for Munster and he's a really talented guy but it's almost I don't know exactly if I think I don't know if I think it's like it, it's self-sabotage or something or he feels he doesn't have to change and love him or loathe them, you know People just selecting for who I am. You're going, like, that's a really fucking immature attitude to have at, at 31, 32. Like, the guy could still make a make some sort of positive impact on the Irish team and go to go to a World Cup. He's really, really talented. He does so many. It's not just a choice corner. He's a great passer. He's got a, he kicks the ball really well. He's good in the air. But he, like, he doesn't get on the ball very much. Don't know anything about his speed and shorts because he never shows it. Like he does not feature heavily in a lot of games unless the ball comes to him. And, and in that he's gone backwards. So you're you're going like, well, why? Like you've got this chance to play for Ireland, and it just seems like you're not doing anything to help yourself make that happen. Yeah, it's funny. I I wouldn't use the word immature, and it kind of st- struck at me. I I'd use cavalier. I, I think like I think Zebo is the epitome in Irish rugby of of a cavalier. And oh, fair enough. Maybe I said, missed, I missed, I said I chose the wrong word last week that um, the Irish under twenties were very much a reflection of like what Irish rugby is like at the moment, and they were all polite robots. 
And then when we were chatting beforehand, I thought to myself, except Sibo, who is the least robotic player that there is. So I go back to Cavalier, but at the same stage, kind of think to myself, it is like a Cavalier approach to take when you've moved back from Paris and... I don't know, like I'd imagine he must have been on better money in France. So there must have been the offer of better money in France than there is playing for Munster. Yeah. Um so he like he was prepared to sacrifice the money for the opportunity to play for Ireland, but he's And to come home to Munster, like And to come and to come home to Munster. But sure, like he'd be popular wherever he played. I'm yeah. sure he was popular in Paris. Like yeah. you know, like he's I go back to it, like he's very charismatic. He is very charismatic. And playing in the wing, he's very close to the the fans. Mm-hmm. Now, like particularly close in Thoman Park, and it's an adoring mob. But I and like an uncanny ability to score tries at club level. But but like you, I I just kinda I did look at him scoring those tries and I went we were chatting about wingers and the fact that you pick them young when they've got their gas and then you're saying like at 32, like he's he's still quick and Larkham talked about him and says, I mean, he's still, like he's still fast. Mm. But you talked about his speed endurance as well and his his try scoring record at international level is not the same at no, all. No, not at all. As it is at, um, at club level. So again, I don't, like I don't know, like what, what's, what's the big picture talk out of this? It's... I guess like international rugby is hard. That, that that that's probably the biggest thing for me, and like it's, I think the benefit of Irish rugby is like if you play pro rugby at a provincial level in Ireland, you are ready to play international rugby if you're called up. If if you have to be called up, you can do a job. Yeah, but it, yeah. It's it's not enough. You're not ready to thrive. You you're not ready. It. You're not ready to thrive. You, yeah. you, you you can play it, and I think it's been one of the great strengths of of professionalism in Ireland is that it's created a, a floor for people that they don't disappear when they're injured and that they're they're capable of playing international rugby and it's it's widened the the population base that or the available squad but it doesn't make you an international caliber player an international caliber player and i just think if you don't go to new zealand in the summertime you're really really going to struggle have any impact on the World Cup, oh which is which which is kind of one of the lessons that we got from the 2019 World Cup, where you go, you have to pick the players that are in form. But it's really hard to see somebody playing well enough for the provinces who only doesn't happen, tour because because the system is so intricate. It's only going to happen in certain positions. It can happen in more extreme. Like it can happen for a Matt Hansen. It can happen for a Balakou. You're not going to change scrum half. You're not going to change now half. You're probably not going to change the centres. Yeah. Not going to change your flankers. <laughs> not going to change anything but your wingers. 